Welcome to Be Advised, Leading with Value with Brad Swinehart. In this podcast, we will focus on successful marketing methods for advisors that generate prospects and clients. We will learn from the best in the industry on how advisors in the trenches today are growing their practices. Join us for this journey where Brad draws from years of expertise and guest experts to help advisors reach their full potential. This podcast is brought to you by White Gloves Podcast Connect Program, a done-for-you, fully integrated podcasting system that will help you keep in touch with all of your leads. Retirement and options to make your assets work for you. That is where Brad Swinehart's guest thrives. Curtis Cottle is an investment advisor representative and licensed insurance professional who's been recognized as being in the top 5% of producing agents. And Brad, that's rarefied air at that level. Curtis, I think you are one of the few people I know that both rival my love of Grand Rapids and have an amazing haircut, just like me. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. I'd love to hear, let's kind of back up a little bit. Let's talk about why you got into the industry before you were this top level advisor. What made you say, this is something I'm passionate about and this is why I want to jump in? Yes. Ever since I can remember, honestly, I've never really wanted to work for anybody. And I was even, I had a client ask me, or we were talking, it was actually a psychiatrist, but a client. And they were kind of chatting about when I was younger. I don't remember how we got on the conversation, but I remembered in like first grade, we did these placement tests where you do these little like quizzes, they give you a score. And then that score, you plug it into this book and it tells you what career you'd be best at. And so I just skipped the test and I just started scanning the salaries and incomes of the um, career paths. And then I just found the highest one. And I said, <laughs> that's the one I want to do. Cause I was, I always had heard if you do better in life, that means you make more money people are doing well, people are doing better. So I was like, well, why wouldn't I want to be as good as I can be or do the best I can do. So I'm just going to find the most money. So I always thought that was kind of funny as I remembered that with them, but I think I also had a pretty influential fifth grade teacher who did a crazy, extraordinary class where they, he ran a whole economy system and incorporated the whole school, created their own currency, you ran your own business. I just kind of had the way I thought and the way that I, the paths went that made more sense to just do my own thing. And I evaluated, I didn't want to go to college, but then I decided to go one year just to see if I was missing anything, but I didn't think I needed it for being self-employed. I thought there's a lot cheaper, more effective, precise ways to learn and educate rather than college. And so then I was looking at different industries and I looked at real estate on the investing development side. I would need a lot of help with guidance and capital and the timing was 2007. So that kind of Oh, yeah. Uh, Nixed that for at least a, a time, that time period. And then I looked at a couple other industries and I found this one through my brother. His in laws had a insurance agency, life insurance agency. And I was like, man, the, the profit margin is pretty good. There's no inventory. Makes sense to me, the business, the industry does. And you don't have to start out with a $500,000 loan or huge capital. And that's what kind of drew me into it. And then the industry has been really good to me. Um, I knew I was good with people which is a big, big part of our business. And I also, I think part of it too, is the few jobs that I did have. I mean, I got fired too many times when I was a kid. So I think that's part of the reason why I knew I couldn't work for anybody. But I think the big thing I didn't like is like, I always felt like I was slave and mercy to the employer, right? They always hang the job over your head. And 
you don't do this, you don't do that. You don't have a living anymore. So I never really resonated with that. And I wanted to create a different day-to-day enjoyment of work and control of my work rather than being a slave to it and being forced to be somewhere for 40 or 50 hours a week. So then we started hiring people because once I was able to create that for myself, I wanted to be able to provide a good work environment and a good place to be with opportunity for other people too. So that's kind of how I like my, my, I suppose my passion and path of how I got to where I am. Well, I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs start, right? They realize that, Hey, you know what? I don't necessarily fit into the boxes that are laid out in front of me going to six years of college to get into the debt, going to work for somebody else for 50 hours a week to fulfill their dream or doing what they tell me to do. I think, you know, for you, I think that's awesome that in first grade, you already kind of identified like, okay, this is what I'm passionate about. This is the path that I want to take. I want to do something a little bit different. And a lot of times people are not so much in the, in, in our space, but just in general to demonize the thought of going out and making significant money. But at the end of the day, most of the advisors that I work with and that even the successful entrepreneurs I work with, it's not about the fancy cars and the big offices and the nice houses. It's about doing exactly what you said, creating a life that has a nice balance, that has passion, and then going out and creating that opportunity for everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a It's definitely a bit of a big focus and it's nice that if you find success and you find money, you know, it's nice to enjoy the things like the cars and the houses or whatever that comes along with it. They don't mean a whole lot if you can't share them with other people either. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting, the concept of like people demonizing success or money. It's oftentimes people who just can't relate. They don't, they haven't been in that spot. They haven't seen the, they haven't felt what it feels to take the risks. They haven't seen what that feels like to take the effort to put in the 100% full responsibility and whether it works or fails. So I think there would be a little bit of a perspective change or an epiphany if there were people that that had that opinion and then maybe went through a simulated experience and came out with some sort of accomplishment on the other end. And so I think, you know, naturally you were, you know, you can tell just by talking to you and the few times that we've talked in the past, like you're just, you're likable, right? You know, I don't naturally have that. I have to work on it, but <laughs> for you, you're very likable. You're very personable. How does that relate to your success in this particular industry? Yeah, it's, I suppose it's fortunate that it, that I have that type of personality because it wasn't something again, that I, that I like focused on to cultivate. I kind of always have gotten feedback like that, that I have a likable personality and it's nice because I like to just be myself. And so that has been a positive thing in this business, because when I'm meeting with clients, I can really focus on fine tuning what I'm doing and how I'm presenting to them. But I can take one thing off my plate, I think. And it's just, if I know if I just be my genuine self, then it'll come across usually well-received and enjoyed on the other end. So Building rapport has been always a big focus of mine. My dad's a psychologist. And so I think through osmosis, I've gotten some good guidance on how to connect with people and how to make them feel comfortable and maybe even how to communicate to them to where they can truly feel like we're accomplishing their goals and trust that we're accomplishing goals rather than just showing them a number on a paper. Yeah. So what have you found you know, you've kind of developed these skill sets. I love the fact that the family business has kind of trickled down into something that, you know, is somewhat unrelated, but somewhat related. What did you, what have you found that has done the 
the most beneficial to use that skill set to build your practice. To use which skill set again? The skill set of being likable, being personal, being able to relate and build that rapport. How did you utilize that tool, I guess, in your toolbox to start building your practice? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a, I mean, the first and foremost is client facing, really building a genuine connection and building the a relationship that they, that they're going to enjoy and I'm going to enjoy, you know, as we're going to be working together, but also hiring staff and we're hiring people and we're networking. So I think, I think it's just kind of the forefront of a lot of stuff. If you're trying to work with somebody or network somebody with any fashion and you're not fun to be around, I don't think that that's going to get you very far. People aren't going to want to be drawn to that. It also helps too, I think for growing a business and growing staff under it, where people, you know, go where they're drawn to. And so if, if you've got a likable personality or you've got like a charisma or magnetism to it, I think that only amplifies all the other fine details that you're trying to do. I don't know if I can specifically pinpoint any particular thing about it. Cause it's just, just something that kind of is innate for me. And I haven't really analyzed too deeply on exactly what I do or how I do things, but, but yeah, I definitely rely on being able to connect with people and, um, and create enjoyable relationships on both ends. So I think in this industry, as, as well as many others right now, like hiring, retaining employees is tough. And you, COVID happened to everybody and that, that shook up the job market quite a bit. I totally agree. If you, can, if you have a, a boss or an employer that you like and that you feel really cares about you, that's going to help you retain employees and really build a staff that's all kind of rowing in the same direction, I would think. What do you think some of the key features that has led to your success. We know you're likable, you're charismatic. When people find you, they're kind of attracted to you naturally. But, you know, outside of the work ethic, what things did you do when you first started off that maybe worked really well? And maybe there's something there that you tried and it absolutely tanked and you pivoted away from. Yeah. One of the things that's worked really well is the, and I still do this, and I think I've done this my whole life, but if I want to do something and accomplish it, so, uh, let's say it's even a new task um, that I haven't ever done before, a new skill, or yeah, I did that with this industry is I just find people who are doing it really well. And so who's kind of kicking ass, taking names, top of the leaderboards. And then I want to go interview those people. And I want to say, Hey, what are you doing that works? And I want to copy exactly that. And then once I've, my system has kind of been, once I've copied exactly what they're doing and I've gotten success out of it, then I fine tune it to what I think would be a little bit better to fit my particular situation or system. And I'm still continuing to do that. In fact, I'm just joining a group that I'm sure a lot of advisors, some of the top advisors are on with White Glove. It's called Entrepreneur Organization EO. And we're just in the process of joining, but it's basically just more of that. You're working with, there's, it's not a networking group. It's more of like an iron sharp and iron group. And you're working with people who minimum to, Enter the group, your business has to gross a million dollars or more. And then, I mean, that's the low end of the totem pole. There's a lot of people in there grossing 10, 20, 30, $40 million in their business. So then when I'm trying to grow and scale in my business, I can say, hey, here's what I'm trying to do. I could try to do this myself, or I could get a lot further faster and erase a lot of mistakes or setbacks if I can just get some guidance on how to do it properly, since it's a space I've never been before. So I'd say that's probably my biggest factor attributed to success is find people who do it well and get their guidance on where to start. 
Do you have an example of one of the, maybe one of the first advisors you talked to that was doing something really well that you adapted to your practice? Yeah, I do. Actually, it's been huge. So six months into the business, <clears throat> started with the just Medicare final expense and wrote had just a handful of annuities with the help of a, with a, of a colleague when I had a case or two. But at that point, so six months in, I go to this training academy through our IMO, IMS Insurance Agency Marketing Services, IMS. They've been just a phenomenal IMO. And so they, um, they put on these academies and trainings and they have some resources and things like that. And one of the producers through there, through IMS is Dave Pimper. And he's got 30 plus years of experience in the business, a lot of success he's had, and he's a producer, but he also has a coaching business, a financial advisor coaching business to help people sell annuity products or sell um, managed money products. And one of his particular things that he does for his own production and what he coaches is seminars. And that's where I got introduced to workshops and seminars six months into the business. And I couldn't do them then because I didn't quite have the money to do them, but it was probably about a year later that I did my first one. But as soon as I saw him talk about whatever he was presenting, he had like a 30 minute window to present and see who was interested in his coaching services or, or anything like that. I immediately knew I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to chat with him and I'm going to do that. I just need to get to a point where I can as fast as I can. So since then I've done coaching with him uh, from that six month or from that year later point from when I saw him, I did coaching with him. And then I probably did a handful more. He did like 13 week se sessions. I probably did four or five of them about once a year for the next four or five years with him. And he's really launched my learning curve, uh, cut my learning curve, launched my path. I attribute a lot of the success that I've had so quickly to, to hooking up with him. And I've heard him speak at IAMS, both he and Curtis Hawks really know what the heck they're talking about. I always really enjoy hearing both of them get up there and do their thing. And it's just always beneficial to kind of sit back and learn where the industry's headed and what's seeing success. That's just phenomenal. So you saw, you kind of saw him immediately was like, yep, that's the guy that's going to help me. And you mentioned seminars. So let's talk about that. When you first did a seminar, how the heck did that go? If you look drastically different than they do are now, I'll tell you that the very first seminar, I remember I had a little iPad or tablet because I want to make sure I get all the language right. And I knew it wasn't going to be as good as if I had it all memorized, but I felt like with the nerves and, and it was a lot of content, you know, it's an hour and 15. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't done, I mean, I would have had to spend, I, I'm just a person who likes to jump in. So if I jump in and do it, I learn a lot quicker than if I'm practicing about doing a scenario that's not live. I just had that up there for notes. <clears throat> I probably read a little bit more of it than I should have. Curtis, you're one of those guys that I say you never practice in front of prospects. That's one of my lines that I like to use. So you're that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. It's like, I know that I could mess around and dink around for hours and hours, but if but I would spend a tenth of the time and get a lot further if I just do it. So yeah, that's exactly how I am. So I just got up there and spoke and I think... Actually, no, I take this back. That was the second seminar. The first one was a dud, actually. The first one. So in Michigan, you guys, are, Brad, you'll be able to relate. So I was talking with Dave Pimper and he's like, we're picking the dates of when we wanted the seminar and it was coming up in the fall. And we ended up doing like early, like November, maybe 10th or 10th and 12th or something like that. Something. Like that. 
and there's something called deer season here in Michigan, which is kind of like Super Bowl, but for just the state of Michigan. So everything <laughs> shuts down. People like leave for two weeks to go to deer camp. And I did mention it to Dave. I said, the dates look good, but there is deer season coming up. But is that a problem? And he's from Nebraska. I thought he might understand. Yeah. But it's not the same apparently in, in any other state. So he's like, oh no, it should be fine. So we do the seminar and like 20% of the people show up. So we barely have any numbers to work with. I'm also really green. So I'm not converting at a high level. So I think I got maybe two appointments and closed $0 of commissions. And we spent what, 5,000 or $6,000 in the seminar. And Dave did a good job of, of saying, hey, every single seminar doesn't work. It's when you do seminar after seminar after seminar yeah. after seminar. And that's the same with most all marketing is the consistency and re repetitiveness of doing it create success. So I did at least have that mental framework going in where I needed, I was kind of like blocking it in a group of three. If I do three, I should see some success out of three. So yep, yeah. the second one <clears throat> was where I actually had an audience. <laughs> and I'll say deer season. Yeah. This place is like a ghost town, Michigan. It is. It, it empties is. Out. Yeah. Everyone goes up North. You don't know where up north is either, but everyone says, yeah, I'm going up north. And that could be anywhere. That could be, <laughs> it could be a mile up north or 12 hours for all, all, but yeah, everyone just says we're going up north. And then it's just like a ghost town. No one exists. And it is. They don't do anything. Everything, everything shuts down for at least a week. Right? <laughs> yeah. And it seems like the husbands leave and then the wives usually make plans because they know they're going to be yep. widows for um, <laughs> a couple weeks. So Yep. They're like, if he's out having fun, I'm going to go out and have fun. So it's just, yeah, it's just, everything slows to just about a crawl. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that's what happened. So the next one I had an audience and then I remember reading off my tablet, getting enough appointments. I think I broke even or maybe made a couple thousand dollars profit. And then the third one, I didn't need the tablet anymore. And, and I, and I think maybe I even got some deal by the time I did the third one, I did them like months, each one a month apart. So by the time I did the third one, I think I had some deals also more closing from the second one, but like, I've kind of noticed they close in like three segments. For the most part, you have third of your commissions or revenue will close very quickly after the seminar. Then you'll have like a three to six month delay for another third of what you might close. And then you might have a year or even two longer term stuff that timing's finally right, or your situation changed, they call you back where you get those deals. So once you've been doing seminars consistently for about a year, you kind of are in full tilt. So I ended up starting to get some traction by the third one. And I think I had a really good third one on top of it. And from there, I just remember doing them more and more. So this podcast is brought to you by white gloves, podcast connect program, a done for you fully integrated podcasting system that will help you keep in touch with all of your leads. Yeah, and that's what I've, you know, we see that kind of across all the advisors that that work with White Glove or that have done, done seminars for years. It's you have to have that mentality that you're not going to you're not going to knock it out of the park the first time. You might. And we definitely have advisors that do. And then they think, oh, my God, White Glove is amazing. But it's not. It's just marketing. And it's kind of like filling that conveyor belt and make sure it's always full and always running and product starts dropping off the end of the line. And sometimes it takes a long time for that to fall off. But I think that the time frame that you said, right, you get a third right away and then six months, you get another third. And then we hear, yeah, one year, two years, three years. If you stay in front of them, you know, people bring in more and more clients from it, or you get the 
referrals where, hey, I wasn't at the seminar, but my neighbor. Yeah, we do get those referrals. We also get people who have come to a seminar and then a year later, we get this pretty regularly, a year later, maybe have come back to a seminar. And so when you keep doing the seminars, you're staying in front of them and now their situation is changed and they come back and now we close them because it's just a different scenario, but yeah, it's a seminar that did the marketing to them. And, and when you're doing seminars, is it steak and cheesecake at dinner place at Ruth Chris? Is it a library or community center? Like what's the format of the seminars that you're using? So initially I did all dinner seminars, steak dinners or nice dinners. I would rotate around the area to restaurants. So I'd kind of try and rotate each quadrant of the compass rows, Northwest, Northeast, Southeast, Southwest. And uh, I did have success in the dinner space. White Glove introduced me to just doing the educational, purely educational with coffee and cookies. Out of, so the, probably the first five, six years, seven years I did dinners. And then once Social Security came around and White Glove came around, was similar timing for our agency, then I switched to just the educational. We've been doing no dinner seminars for the last several years, probably six, seven years, but we've been using white glove for a few years now. And I think just out of the convenience of not having to mess with the dinners and coordinating that, and even the added extra expense and still getting success, I think it's a little bit of convenience that we've stuck with it. However, I think we're going to probably sprinkle back in some of them because you have different personalities, right? So yeah. you have some people that yep. want the educational classes. You have some people that want the entertainment of the dinner uh, with it too. So I think you'll have people that will come to both. And I think you'll have people that will only come to one or the other. So I think we're just to capture all as much of the market as we can. I think we're going to sprinkle the dinners back in. And I think you're spot on there that someone will see a postcard and in the mail and say, Hey, I want to, I'll go to a dinner event. And then that their neighbor might see that same thing. And it's like, nah, I'm not interested in that, but I'll definitely go to the local library and, and learn about a topic. So I think right. that and both think, work. So yep. even if, even if my theory is completely wrong, you're still getting the numbers, you need, but, <laughs> but it's, it, it seems to make sense anyway. So flash forward, you've done some seminars, you're starting to see some success. You've been in the industry a few years. Has anything changed? Obviously COVID changed a lot of things of getting out to the library, especially here in Michigan, right? We were on lockdown for what felt like years, but what have you seen as far as adapting to the clientele now? Like what are prospects most interested in? How are you getting in front of them? That sort of thing. Yeah, I'll touch on the the COVID thing too, because I suppose that we may know that a precedent has been set of work from home or um, Zoom and don't meet people. I, I imagine there's chances in the future that something may spark that or a similar event again, where we go through a time where we can't meet in person. But it was a little bit scary. Like everybody, you don't know what's going to happen, but I knew that I would rather worst case scenario, if, if I ended up going out of business, which would be the worst case scenario, I would rather go out of business spending money on marketing to keep it going and taking a chance, giving it a chance of success in this new climate versus waiting and doing nothing and going out of business that way. So I at least wanted to give it a chance. So we poured a bunch of money into White Glove and in webinars, and you guys were really instrumental in helping us try and get as much success quickly as possible without having to make too many mistakes um, and making the platform easy to do. 
the conversion wasn't as good, but we did find pretty good success with webinars. The, it just was a little bit higher cost per household, but still profitable. So that was a big, big deal. And in fact, I kind of got to return the favor to Dave Pimper because he called me up and he said, Hey, I mean, he's in his sixties, so he's not as savvy with, with technology. And he actually had me guide him through what I do for my webinar. So I actually taught him how to do the webinar presentation and got to kind of return the favor. So it's kind of a cool. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then, so one of the things too, and I will say white glove does a couple of things really well. One of the things I think first and foremost is you guys get people to the, to the seminars mailings. You didn't, we're not as consistent as getting people there. I mean, there is some up and down numbers with white gloves still, but I think it's a more even keel and you're going to count on at least a base going to be there. So that's huge. If you can get in front of people, that's the number one thing. And white glove does that very well. The other thing for me, the way gloves done is, and this is kind of my motto is it's surrounded me by advisors who do things well. And when we need to try and do something different or improve, I know we can reach out to white glove and they'll connect us with somebody who's doing something well. So we did that during COVID too. We were kind of forced to say, okay, if we're going to get, if it's going to be higher cost per household to get a client, and we don't seem to be getting as much volume on the webinars back then because I think people were just kind of skittish to do anything. So the so the webinars too with COVID were just a little bit lower volume than the in-persons. We realized that we needed to get more assets per household to make the numbers work. So we talked to, we got connected through White Glove with a couple of people and we changed our approach to tax reduction planning. It was the first thing. And now we've added estate planning, but they kind of still go hand in hand. And the tax reduction planning approach and largely implementing Roth conversions and using an illustration software, which we use uh, Wealthy and Wise by Innsmark, which was a recommendation from a top advisor at White Glove. And now that we promote that, um, we've closed like twice the amount of assets per household because of the nature of the conversation. So before I go after the easiest account, smallest usually ends up being the smallest, but at least the easiest account that's maybe not attached to advisor, still at the 401k or one with an advisor that they don't like, but they want to keep the advisor they do like. But when you're doing the tax reduction planning, nobody's talking about it. So you're the only one. They're like, I like my advisor, but he doesn't do this. So then you're able to say, okay, well, just give us all of your IRA money. You can work with the non-qualified stuff with your other advisor, which is usually the very small part of their portfolio. So you're largely getting the majority of the portfolio by saying, let's work with the pre-tax dollars and convert it tax-free. Well, I mean, and we've seen kind of in just kind of the same timeline that you were talking about, 2015, 2016, White Glove really had social security down pat. We were starting to get our feet under us on how to get, you know, fill rooms with that. And then when we started doing the taxes and retirement topic, it just, I mean, it took off. We had so many advisors say, yep, this is what I want. And it's, kind of two parts, right? Like they started seeing more assets in the room. Mm-hmm. Yep. We did too. And then it was easier to have those conversations. It's interesting now because when we first started promoting taxes, most advisors would just respond, well, I'm not a CPA. I don't want to talk about that. And they really kind of dug their heels in on social security or Medicare. And, you know, once that switch kind of flipped inside their brains or they're like, Oh, if I pivot to this, then, you know, the started seeing success like you have, that's all we sell now. 
they all want to talk about taxes. And what's interesting to us is we see that same sort of pivot happening now from the consumer side when it comes to estate planning, where most advisors are saying, well, I don't do wills, I don't do trusts, I don't want to talk about it. But they're not addressing the other 85% of estate planning, which is really having a sound financial plan of, you know, do you have insurance in the right spots? Are you using Roth conversions? Are you, are you setting up 529s? That sort of mentality really does factor into generational wealth planning. And it's just interesting to see on the consumer side of the, again, it's kind of that bump up in net worth from social security to estate planning, but it's also just a high interest topic right now. Yeah. And it seemed to be so much easier because we'd show them an illustration and it was so much easier to ask for the clothes because you're saying, Hey, give us your money. Then we can provide you these tax reduction planning services. We can show you, we can save you a hundred thousand dollars in taxes over the course of your retirement. It was a lot easier to say yes or no to work with us rather than which part do we work with you on and which you've got all these moving parts and accounts. Like how do we ask for the close where it's clear that, that you're working with us and then on what account. So it was easier just to say, do you want to work with us or don't you? We can kind of sort out which accounts you work with us on later. If you don't want to work with us on everything, but do you or don't you was a good commitment. And then it was just a matter of sorting out which ones they send us and which ones they keep with whomever they want to keep with. I love that. It's kind of like, which accounts do you want to have tax savings on? Right. <laughs> well, well, most, most, if not all. Yeah. yeah, all of them. But then, and too, we'll, t- we'll honestly tell them, like, we'll help since your advisor doesn't do the tax stuff. Anything you move, you know, if you work with us with your assets as much as you can or feel comfortable with, we'll do the tax work, even on the work stuff your other advisor has. And the more hands you have on it, the more times you're going to get the assets anyway. But it's really just saying, if you want to work with us, that's great. And then they're usually pretty good faith about, they're saying, okay, you're doing a service for us. We're going to give you as much assets as we can or feel comfortable with without causing us too much distress. So it's really just like, they'll give you a good amount of assets or you can kind of negotiate or even ask for a little bit more. And they'll, they'll often be pretty receptive to giving you a good chunk. I love it. Well, hey man, I really appreciate it time today. I think we covered a lot. Just one, be personable. I like that. You know, <laughs> it comes natural to you. And then I really liked hearing the finding a mentor, you know, kind of just don't reinvent the wheel, just copy it. And then once you've gotten that basics, work hard, make it your own and have it fit in. And obviously I love the story of doing seminars and seeing success, but even more than that, the, the tax conversations and kind of changing up how you approach your prospects, I think it is a huge beneficial talking point for the advisors listening today. And I think that one thing that that just sets advisors apart from each other or from the rest of the herd, if you will, is that willingness to lead in with something of value and something that is education. And obviously that ties both into tax planning and seminars, but to hear your story, how you've kind of used that to see massive success is a wonderful picture for the listeners today, I think. Yeah, we, we did struggle, or at least I did internally with, I've always heard like, you got to bring value to your clients. I'm like, well, I have these products I can give them. And so does everybody else. I don't really know where ours is more valuable than somebody else's until we started doing the tax. We try to come up with different stuff, but in position ourselves, but the tax thing is really, truly different and valuable. And it was really something we could latch onto and buy into ourselves saying, Hey, we're doing something really good for these clients. 
for you, the client, you should give us your money versus just saying you should give us your money because we offer something everybody else also offers was a little bit tougher. Yep. I love it, man. Great, great conversation today. We'll definitely get you back on here and uh, wish you continued success, my friend. Thanks so much. Hey, Curtis, if people wanted to reach out to you, find out a little bit more information, how should they do that? Yeah, I'd be happy to share it. Again, that's what helped me succeed and being connected with other people, white glove willing to share. Probably the best way is is honestly email. Uh, Phone calls are fine, but if I schedule a time through email, it's even better for a phone call. So email, I can answer if I'm between appointments rather than getting caught in the middle of appointments. So email is Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S at gosbc.net. That's G-O-S as in Sam, B as in boy, C as in Curtis.net. And I'd be happy to, if you want to email and reach out and have any questions, I mean, I'd be, be happy to be a resource uh, like many other people have done for me in the White Glove community. And don't miss any episode of Be Advised, Leading with Value. Simply subscribe or follow this podcast. And of course, please share. Thanks for being with us. This podcast is brought to you by White Gloves Podcast Connect Program, a done-for-you, fully integrated podcasting system that will help you keep in touch with all of your leads. Thank you for listening to Be Advised, Leading with Value with Brad Swinehart. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of White Glove. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.